everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is our 155th weekly episode, journeying through all of the Marvel superhero adventures, four-ish comics at a time, and uh, we are coming through to the end of a month, this episode, the end of May 1967, with three comics, Fantastic Four 65, Tales to Astonish 94, and Amazing Spider-Man 51, and then diving into June 1967 with Sergeant Fury 45. And I forgot to mention at the end of last week's episode, and so in case I forget to mention it at the end of this week's episode, we are going to be soon covering the Avengers Battle the Earth Wrecker. And on the feed, every day this week has been a chapter of the audiobook version of that story. This is a privately nonprofit produced audiobook, and we can take it down if some license holder wants us to, but the book's out of print, has been for a long time, so I figure no one's losing any money over this. I'm pretty um, sure phase four is completely the story, though. <laughs> probably, probably. But yeah, so the, our discussion of that is coming next week. So the last six chapters will be released over the next six days. Yay. All right. Yay. And I've actually read uh, it. So there we go. That was a big challenge for 2021 for me. You have but read your first it. novel of 2021. <laughs> I've read my first novel of 2021. I never read any in 2020. Uh, so that was kind of satisfying, even though it wasn't, you know, War and Peace or anything. But that's fine. We'll see if we get to Captain America and the, the gold steel before the end of the year. Yeah. Okay. But meanwhile, so, we don't have Avengers or Captain America on the docket. No, we've got some fantastic people. And am I back to leading this thing every episode? So far, yeah. Until we screw it okay. up next week. Fantastic Four. Fantastic. 65. From the deadly lips of Ronin. Jakku. I was totally going to say that. Oh, yep. Okay, so so it's funny because, like, <laughs> Lady Cassandra O'Brien, right, from Doctor yeah. Who, The End of the World, she, while they're figuring out who the real murderer is, and she's the actual murderer, uh, she says, Jacuz to, to the face of Bo or something. Uh -huh. And I'd never heard that phrase before, but since then, it's become, like, part of my lexicon. Jacuz. That's how that works. And like, um, You ever, like, yeah. hear a word you've never heard before, and then all of a sudden you hear that word all the time? And it's like, does that mean, like, I... That word just never existed before, or was my was I deaf to it or something? I don't know. It's weird how that works. I don't know if people go around saying it. I mean, England is right next to France across a body of water, so there's a lot of French mm -hmm. influence, but I don't know. Hmm. Of course, if you if you see the word written down, it ends in an E. Mm -hmm. So it looked like it should maybe be jacuzzi. Jacuzzi. So I, like to I like to think of Ronan as Ronan the jacuzzi. <laughs> Ronan the jacuzzi. When I was a kid, I, I pronounced this Ronan the Accursor, and I still to this day don't know why I did that. But for the longest oh, that's time, great. it was Ronan the Accursor until I actually stopped well, and read it slower. <laughs> well, it turns out that this issue isn't really about jacuzzis or Ronan the Jacuzzi or Ronan the Accursor. It's really about the mystery of Alicia. Oh. Because that's what it tells us on the first page. Introducing in this issue, The Mystery of Alicia. And that was our next issue, Box T's last issue, The Mystery of Alicia. So well, we're going to talk be a about that as we go through Really the short discussion, if that's all we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> the fabulous FF and all mankind face menace anew from beyond this planet Earth. What is real? 
and what is unreal. Sometimes it is difficult to truly know. For example, take this startling scene in the Twilight Zone. Now, um, conceived and created by the colossally celebrated combo of Stan the Man Lee and Jack King Kirby. I thought that O was a D, and I was like, Cold Sally? That doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> Cold Sally. Embellished by Joe Sinnott. <laughs> Cold Sally. <laughs> Lettered by Artie Simic. Now get thee hence, O true believer, for spectacle most cerebral doth surely await thee. All right. The Fantastic Four have come to the attention of the supreme intelligence of the majestic race of the Kree. This floating green Kirby head surrounded by red Kerbal Crackle with like tendril hair coming out of its scalp um, has decided that the Fantastic Four must be destroyed because they destroyed the hidden Kree outpost on Earth and its loyal sentry. And so he calls forth Ronan, the accuser. Now, this series of cerebral events has been witnessed by each of the Fantastic Four in turn in the form of a dream from which each one of them wakes up feeling completely thrown. And it's over discussions uh, with Johnny's bath and the breakfast table that they realize they all had the same dream. And so Reed is like, oh, no. This can't be happening. I don't know why we're all having the same dream. Um, I wish that Triton were still here. Since he's an inhuman, he's had more experience with psychic phenomena. Also, you know, you know how water things are. They're always psychic. So I wish he were still here. Anyways, Sue is like, stop. Don't say anywhere about the danger here. I'm not going to believe it. I just want to leave. And Rita's like, don't just leave, Sue. Let's, um, you know what? I'm sorry. I got a little too worked up. Let's, let's hug and kiss and, um. You know, wives should be kissed, not heard. His words, not mine. Uh, but even as Mr. and Mrs. Richards prove that marriage is here to stay, and so is sexism, Ronan the Accuser is flying toward Earth in his ship. He's got his green helmet doohickey on, and he's flying, and he comes to Earth, and he beams down and lands in the middle of a New York street. Everyone's walking around. So he's like, okay, you know what? Uh, I don't want to deal with all these little peons. So I'm going to create around me a cone of impenetrability. And from safely within this cone, I shall meet out the sentence of the Cree. And um, so he does. He, he sits there and the Fantastic Four are hanging out. So Johnny and uh, the Thing are giving each other craziness. And so the Thing like does this whole Hulk sonic clap that like totally wrecks their apartment. Susan is out shopping for clothes. Johnny goes to get Crystal from Susan in his Roadster. Uh, Mr. Fantastic is also shopping. So he and Sue hook up and they go to dinner. And they're at the most expensive restaurant in the entire city. When suddenly, poof, they just disappear from the table. Johnny and Crystal are cruising in Johnny's Roadster, and a police officer pulls them over because it's standard procedure to give any Roadster like this a safety check. Because, like, his hood's missing. His engine is sitting out there in front of God and everybody. So with the car pulled over, Johnny goes, poof, disappears, and Crystal's, like, all confused. The thing is just sitting at home washing his tights when the uh, the mailman arrives with a package and he thinks it's a Yancey Street booby trap package. And the, the mail delivery guy is totally freaked out because the thing is a giant orange monster made of rocks. And so whenever the thing shakes the package and he poofs, 
Mailman's confused. If it was a bomb, why didn't it explode? And where did the thing go? And all four of the Fantastic Four poof and materialize within the cone of, now it's a cone of invulnerability. And for the rest of the story, imagine them all just like in this little circle with a conular wall, conical wall around them. Um, so Ronan is there and he's like, yeah, y'all blew up our century and so I'm going to kill you. And Fantastic Four are like, no, you're not. He's like, yeah, I am. I've got this ultimate weapon right here. It's a hammer. Um, but, you know, it does stuff. So I'm going to shoot, shoot some laser bolts with my hammer. And Fantastic Four say, no, you're not. Um, and the thing tries to fight him, but uh, Ronan's able to make him super duper heavy till he crushes to the ground. And then we get to the crux of the story. Alicia is sitting in her apartment, wondering what's happened to Ben because he's late for their date. When a mysterious hand appears saying, Alicia, I'm here. And she's like, oh, no, that strange voice I've been hearing. I'm hearing it again. He's like, I've got I need you and we don't need doors. We're just going to go. If you'll take my hand, you don't have to be afraid of anything. Uh, Just come with me. And they walk through a wall. And that is the mystery of Alicia. Back to the cone. The police are outside with some really big who's he wants his guns that Mr. Richards or Tony Stark or somebody designed and they can't get inside the cone. Inside the cone, the Fantastic Four continue to fight against Ronan. Sue uses her uh, invisible force fields to catch people as they fall. She throws force balls at Ronan. Reed Richards uses his stretchy powers to try to wrest the uh, ultimate weapon um, away from Ronan. Thing tries a strength match. Ultimately, what happens, though, is that Ronan just poofs, disappears as the thing is lying on top of him. The cone disappears and the Fantastic Four are just lying there in the street. Police car, the police who've been outside the cone run up and say, hey, are they okay? What happened here? And Reed Richards is like, oh, no, must be some sort of automatic activator on Ronan's ship. Since his mission failed, he was removed. All traces of his mission were removed and... Ronan's gone, but what I want to know is, what are the Kree going to do if they find out that we can fight back? I hope we never have to learn that as we see the ship flying away back towards Kree space. Next, the mystery deepens. And by that, mean they mean the mystery actually starts to matter. I'm sure we'll never see the Kree again, so I don't know. <laughs> they didn't lie. It was a mystery to me what's going on. <laughs> I don't know. It is, in fact, a mystery. I don't know if you know, but I don't know. Um, I'm pretty sure I know where she's going. I don't know why she in particular is going there. The one hint we get is that the dude is definitely not dressed like a 1967 normal human. He's got like a wristband with weird markings on it. And he's got an arm with no clothes on it, except for like one of those Asgardian bicep bands or something. Well, it gave me a vibe of – go ahead. I was just going to say, he's not from around here or whatever he is. Whatever he is. It gave me a vibe of the Inhumans again, because just mm. the street people taking her away. It also gave me a vibe of Wondegore Mountain with the new men taking mm-hmm. Alicia away like they took Jane Foster away. Oh, God. Um, yeah. But yeah. Can't be them, as we'll find out. No. Uh, in the next recording or this recording. Either way. But it could be soon. him. could be him. Um, I like this issue. This was a lot of fun. I really like this issue. I've been excited to get here for a long time because, I mean, we had the Sentry. Now we have Ronan. We've got the Kree. We're going to get Captain Marvel. This is like ah, the beginning yeah, of lots of yeah, lots of cool stuff. Yeah. This is the Marvel Universe expanding into space, basically. Yes. Um, 
Is is Reed such an atheist that like anytime they have a communal dream, he just completely dismisses it until something bad happens, and then he thinks to himself, "I knew it all along." Because this is like so, the third time this has happened, I think. <laughs> you know. Okay, so my atheism comes from empiricism, you know, uh-huh. taking the world as I perceive it to be and basing mm-hmm. all my conclusions on what I can, what I experience and, you know, mm-hmm. documentable reality, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So Reed Richards, as a scientist, generally that lends itself to some empiricism as well. And if four people, I'm sorry, if you have a dream that three other people also have, mm-hmm. that's at, something. At the same time. Right. I don't know what it is, but it's definitely something. Because there are, I mean, we've, there are, as human beings, we have separately, independently at different times experienced the same ideas that in our dreams of some sort of afterlife or aliens or something that you can then write off and go, well, maybe it's some sort of brain chemistry or some sort of cultural thing or Mm -hmm. whatever. But these guys are literally having the exact same dream at the exact same time. And waking up at the exact same right. time. Right. And and Johnny and Ben know that it's significant. And Sue is really worried. Uh-huh. And Reed, the person who should be realizing something's going on, is just like, yeah, whatever. And then later he's like, I knew it all along. But he did the same thing when Dr. Doom showed his image when he had cosmic power. And everybody's just like, well, that was a weird thunderstorm. Let's keep moving on. <laughs> I did forget that we get the introduction of the supreme intelligence in this yeah, um, that I was knew I cool. knew Ronan was coming, but I forgot he was here too. Did Ben fall out of Johnny's bed? I'm kind of confused. Like they is, appear are they to be Batman sharing a bed. and Robining. Can you imagine sharing a bed with an 800 pound rock monster? Why do they need to share a bed? Is this not a very big apartment complex or something? And it's that same bathroom we always see, and right. everybody's in it. Did did they lose the house? Since Sue and Reed got married, did they give up the house in oh, Glenville? Oh, I forgot about that part. I think they're just ignoring that now. And now Johnny has to shack up with, with Ben because there aren't enough bedrooms and there are five stories of living space. Okay, so this is like the first time they've cani- can- canonically, canically, mm-hmm. whatever, ex- canonically, canonically uh, established that he sleeps here now? I think so. I feel like we've done something with their shower scenes before, but I feel yeah. like this is... I think Thing looking at his tongue in the mirror was adorable. But, uh, <laughs> all right, let's get this page over with this page four. We have okay. to address it. Yeah. But, but I'm going to be nicer than you, man. I'm trying okay. to be. I'm trying to be. But I understand where we're coming from also. Well, it's just, okay, so so the scene is that Reed is too over the top reacting to the dream once he realizes that it's a big deal. And this could be excuse, this could be a huge danger. And Sue is kind of fed up. She's sick of adventure. She just wants to live a normal life. Mm -hmm. She wants to set up housekeeping as Mrs. Reed Richards and do supermarkets Mm -hmm. instead of supervillains, which, okay, that's kind of a real and understandable emotion that is written pretty ridiculously. Mm -hmm. Like her wanting a normal life. He gets a little bit tired of all the crazy, fearful adventures. I can, I can get that feeling. Yeah. And then at the end, he like reconciles with her and they hug and kiss. And she's like, wives should be kissed and not heard. Yeah. So again, as we always say on this, it's like there's nothing wrong with wanting to have a regular life or or even go shopping or be wined and dined by your Mm -hmm. husband. But the problem is, is these are all being written by white dudes. So there's that. Mm -hmm. Right. Dudes writing women. 
dudes riding women. So that's always in the background in my mind. Like when I'm trying to justify it's okay that Sue's having these feelings, but it's like if this was being written by somebody else, would they do something different with her, right? Mm -hmm. But this is the plot of Fantastic Four number two that we all just covered. Whether it's out now or not, I'm not sure. Sorry about that. But uh, she wanted a normal life and they were going to quit, remember? So oh, yeah. it, it carries on. I don't know if that's a constant character trait with her or just right now because I don't know Sue well enough, I guess. Um, as for the, uh, you should stay in the kitchen and just kiss me and not use your mouth and stuff like that. Like, I don't, ugh, it's horrible, but like, I don't want to make it about like, that means that Reed is a sexist jerkhead because like, I feel like if this was 2021, they would not write that. And the core of his character does not include being sexist. Like, mm -hmm. so it's just a byproduct of it being the sixties. And again, it being written by white dudes. And also in this particular scene, even maybe he's just trying to make a joke and it's a bad joke because God knows I'm sure I've made sexist jokes to my wife. She knows I don't mean them, but I'm sure at some point in my, you know, 12, 13 year history with her, I've joked about her being barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen or something like that, you know, but I don't mean it. And she knows I don't mean it. And so maybe he's just joking here because they're hugging and having a good moment. But I just feel like if I was really picturing Reed and what makes Reed read, he definitely has issues and it's really hard to like him sometimes. But I don't think he's part of his character is that he's sexist. I think that part of his character with the, you know, perspective of 50 plus years mm -hmm. is sexist. I agree. I think Reed Richards, as we have seen him in our 65 issues so far. Yes has had enough recurring sex, uh, sexist remarks yes. to say that at this point, the character of Reed is sexist. Is yeah. that because it's the 1960s, it's being written by dudes who are ham-fisted about their sexual dynamics yes. and gender dynamics? Sure. Yes. yes. <laughs> but it's still there. And, and let me throw this at you, too. I bet we can find instances of every dude that we've covered being sexist a little bit. And, a little bit. And... Reed, I think, is the only guy who has a regular girlfriend slash wife. So he has more opportunities to be sexist. And she's on the team fighting next to him. Which also so means like, that he's getting rewarded for his bad attitudes, which is a whole other thing. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, Iron Man doesn't get to go around calling Pepper Potts sex or sexist things because she's not fighting alongside him every day and they're not married, you know? That's true. So, like, he, ha he just has more opportunity to suffer <laughs> in 1967. Well, I did learn one thing. Uh -huh. But if you post in a Facebook group that Reed Richards is sexist, uh -huh. 20,000 people will rush to his defense. Okay. Evidently, not on, he's just Not on joking. Twitter, though. No, no, not on Twitter. <laughs> um, he's the best husband in the world. He's just joking, and oh, I should get over it. But, well, I wouldn't um, say that. Right? I wouldn't say he's the best husband in the world, but... But if Namor says trash stuff to Dorma, whom he also professes to love and yeah. exclaims his devotion to... Uh -huh. then it's like, oh, of course that's sexist because Namor is a jerk. Well, I was like, well, uh, Reed is a jerk too. <laughs> Just he he's can like, definitely be a jerk. Anyways. He's like a good version of Professor X versus Professor X being a bad version of Professor X. So all that to say, I think we both realize that this is of its time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, lots of things in their time were still worth calling out from a perspective. <laughs> oh, for sure. And it does make it hard in the in 2021 to enjoy him as a character sometimes because of this stuff. Um, Something else on this page. Yeah. The Inhumans, they left their great refuge to go help Crystal, help Crystal find Johnny. Mm -hmm. And Crystal has found Johnny. Mm -hmm. So what are they doing now? 
Did they go home? Triton went to go back with them. It says Lockjaw returned to the camp the others have established. So they're oh. just camping. Oh, are they just waiting for her to get over Johnny and come home? Are they? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know either. They should definitely go back and help rebuild, I would think. I don't know when the Inhumans as a group next show up again. Especially since they can teleport wherever they want. With their dog, yep. So it's like, why not just teleport home and, and rule, and then when Crystal calls you on the phone, go get her if you need to. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Anyway. We learned from Ronan's monologuing that the Kree literally didn't care about Earth anymore. Mm-hmm. Until Reed blew up the robot. This is all so much news to me. Like, I again, I'm not super intelligent about the cosmic stuff, but I never knew that the Kree were on Earth pre-human. Mm-hmm. And then came and went. That's pretty crazy. They, uh, I looked it up, the dating, uh, about 25,000 years ago that they spent some time on Earth. Wow. So, I mean, humans were humans by then. The great migration to North America happened by then. Oh. So in a species cosmic scale, it's early, way before, like, you know, civilized history keeping. But so do, um, maybe there's like stories where we worship them as gods in some way or something. Mm-hmm. But I don't when know. When we start any. to find out more of what they did with humans, I uh, just keep that in mind that oh. even though we didn't have civilizations that are like, you know, cities oh. and documented and everything, we were fully human by this point. Is that where the Eternals come from? No. Oh, I forget what the Eternals are. They're like their whole separate thing. Okay. Um, Because Reed likes lost civilizations that have cosmic importance. So Inhumans are a separate thing. Eternals are a separate thing. Mm -hmm. And humans are a separate thing. Yeah. Humans, Inhumans, Eternals, those are all separate. But Inhumans origins are tied to the Kree. Oh, Inhumans are. Okay, interesting. Yeah, we're going to learn that in just like a handful of Thor issues when we get to the origin of the Inhumans. Spoilers, everybody. Yeah, well. See, I pressed too hard. Okay. It's okay. Uh, but we'll get the details of how that works when we get there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but my point there also is that think of all the future conflicts and dangers that we wouldn't have had if Reed had not blown up the robot. Right. If he had. If, if, th- if Ben hadn't thrown a dart at that map. And then Reed taken that random dart landing seriously. <laughs> well, he said, whatever. And, and here's another thing I thought about after we covered that issue. After the story has kind of run a bit of its course, Reed seems to know a lot more about that yes. island than he should have known. Yeah, we talked about so that. So did yeah. he know about that island when they oh. went? And if so, that puts more culpability in him for all of this. Was there a magnet behind the map and it just was inevitable that things dark <laughs> would have gone in there because he wanted to check it out? Did he Doctor Who them? If Reed engineered them visiting the Cree Island and let the thing think he had done so. Yeah. That is, that seems but very on, on point for him. Totally. Like, Oh, you guys want to go on vacation? Okay. Hey thing, you can pick, you have all the ownership pick randomly. And, but then really they're just doing his agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could totally see him do that. Which our is why vacation. he's guy, but. Yeah. Right. It's our vacation, but we're just going to go to this uh, island. I want to figure out. I feel like it's been a while since we've seen them all just chumming around doing human things. So that was really fun. These pages, these six through whatever, mm-hmm. nine or 10. Totally uh, agreed. Uh, I particularly like, like here we we're just talking about Reed being sexist and horrible, but then I did like their date. I thought that was pretty great. He was very charming on the date. Yes. Takes her by the elbow. They go to the most fancy place. They're all smiles. It's like, I want to see more of that. That was and as you know, 
complimenting her looks. You know, I'm going to carry your packages for you and escort you through town while you drive all the other men mad. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in love at and first sight? Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. It's good stuff. So, what do you think about Johnny's car? I assume, I'm not a car guy, but I assume this, he said it's a stripped down, what did he say? It's a hot, a stripped down hot rod, right? Which means mm-hmm. customized, which means not off the rack, not off the shelf. So, and mm-hmm. I think these were popular for a while at some point. So maybe there really was some sort of like cop ordinance that if they saw them, they had to pull them over and make sure they were up to street legal somehow, you know? I can definitely see the reason for the ordinance. I just, I don't know. I just wasn't entirely sure that that car was as cool as Johnny th- thought it was. But oh, well, I'm not really I'm hardly the one to know. I'm not really into hot rod stuff. So, yeah, I liked his other cars better that he had in like uh, Strange Tales and stuff. Right. Those were Did you just license plate? Uh, no. What does it say? Let's see. F4NY. Fantastic Four New York. Yep. Oh, I love the bail guy. This is from Yancey Street. And then, like, he seemingly blows up. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy's like, I'm going to get a different job. This is too high stress. That was awesome. We get to Ronan, and I realize as I was reading that he's not blue here. Like, his skin oh. is not blue. Oh, you're right. Yeah. But otherwise, he looks pretty he, Ronan. Yeah. And he'll later be retconned as blue once the Kree get developed a little further and the whole blue thing gets established. But um, but yeah, I was kind of surprised. Are there not also pink Kree? Because Captain Marvel's not blue. Right. Um. But I don't and know how that I, I works. I could be wrong. When we get there, we'll find out. But I think that uh, Marvel's pink skin actually puts him in a weird oh, um, oh. Uh, minority cast in oh. the Greek culture. He is blue. You're right. I forgot about that. I was just looking up like a comic picture. He's a blue guy. Well, that's blue uh, in the movie. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's blue in the movie. When Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. introduces the Kree, the very first thing you find is uh Cree carcass in a in a vault at the end of the first season. And the fact that it's blue is kind of the tip off that there's a Cree. Mm. I wonder if on reprints they recolor his face. Oh that's a good question. I didn't I actually know. I haven't looked this up in reprint. I believe he, uh, the, the digital version is not is flesh color or you know human flesh color. Mm-hmm. His universal weapon looks like a hammer. So I was kind of wondering if Thor has a universal weapon too. But I kind of like um, how the MCU adapts his universal weapon because they show him as just having apparently a normal hammer with a long handle, mm-hmm. but then it gets enhanced by the power stone. It becomes like this thing. Normal hammer that he uses to unpleasantly smash people's or uh, whatever those guys are, the Nova people's uh, head open with. That's yeah. a horrible scene. But yeah, yeah, because he can't. He couldn't hold the power stones for long by himself, so he smashed it into his hammer, and it made it like a weapon. That was pretty cool. Makes it more like this version of the of the hammer. Mm-hmm. The I loved was, how the – go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to say overall, I really liked this fight, and particularly mm-hmm. our hero, Ben, once again doing our favorite thing that Ben does is being being down and out but pushing through anyway. Like too ornery to give up. Yeah, he like puts Cree or uh, what's his name, Ronan, like puts this gravity of the planets on him or something. So the entire fight, he's just out, but he keeps like inching closer and closer until he finally like puts his all into some wrestling move and wins the day. I thought that was really cool. He is really, really great. Mm-hmm. I love how the entire fight also takes place in the cone in the middle of the street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think it's that. great that that the police have. A blaster that Reed gave them, like in case there's ever aliens, because I, right. I I always like it when you know these brainy guys actually affect the world around them. 
You would think there'd mm-hmm. be more stuff like this. Like, hey, Reed invented a cure for cancer. Cool. But at least he's like giving the mil- or the cops something they can use to fight off aliens now that that's a thing. Well, and that's one of the things that the MCU does just sort of in the background of the movies. They don't focus on it much, but the uh, the Earth, the political landscape of MCU is war-free. He, yeah. Tony Stark has made world peace uh-huh. by Privatized giving everybody all the energy they need. Right. That's awesome. Um, page 14, whenever Reed is telling off Ronan at the bottom there, uh, Ronan refers to himself as a superior being. Mm-hmm. And Reed says, I have news for you, friend. Superior beings don't have to be constantly proving their superiority. And I'm like, take it from a guy who knows. Because I'm better than all these guys around me. Do I go around talking about it? No. But I um, am. <laughs> unless, they, unless they challenge me as a leader, then I totally do. Right. We haven't had a good leader challenge in a while. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the five panels of Alicia... Gave this issue its teaser caption and its, um, you know, splash page blurb. These five little. So it makes me wonder if like, I don't know, when they talked about getting to the mystery of Alicia, did they initially plan for that to happen faster or earlier? Or did they intend for it to take this long? I don't know. I don't know either, but. Is this only the second time that like a girlfriend's being swept away by something mysterious? Because it feels like the 50th time. But I guess only Jane Foster, huh? But it happened to Jane Foster multiple times. Yeah, because she got brainwashed by the um, the Rigelian. She got taken <gasps> by Wundagore. She got taken by the news reporter. Remember that one? That took forever to reveal. Yep, the news reporter. Yep. So, so that's yeah, what she it was. was mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a verb now. It's being Jane Fostered. So maybe in that light, maybe it's good that Don Blake didn't whisk her off to the fabled land of Asgard because he would have been just like one in a line of people <laughs> taking Jane Foster off to other places against her better judgment. Right. Oh, uh, but yeah, this is a really fun issue. Yeah, very solid all the way through. Good one. So uh, my one, uh-huh. my one question about this. Yeah, and there's. I don't know if there's any way to ever know. Did they introduce the Cree? Because they wanted to do like the Inhuman story, and because they wanted to do Marvel's first space-born superhero, Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. or did they introduce the Cree and then those ideas came out of it? How far away is Captain Marvel? Quite a um, little ways still, right? Uh, three months. Oh, that's it. Well, then they very well may have been setting all this up. That's not that long to develop mm-hmm. a book. Very possible, like, but yeah, I don't know. We could look up Captain Marvel on Wikipedia and see if they have any insight into his history or his creation. It's actually five because it comes out the same month as Fantastic Four 70, and this is 65, so five months away. But yeah, um, I would find it more likely that they did this because they wanted to do the Inhumans origin. I figured that's probably almost a, a, uh. a guarantee. And then maybe the spaceborne superhero came after that idea came out. So whenever I think about like where do writers get their ideas, I think more about in what order did the ideas develop? Because good organic writing feels like everything depends on everything else. Um, so sometimes like, well, well, where did this start? Well, there's also the murky part of them trying to trademark Captain Marvel as fast as they could when they had the opportunity. That's true. That's and true. That- Happened in 67. I don't know if there's an actual date other than 67. If we could um, figure that out, maybe we could figure out if it predates this this book or not. But Oh, if we like narrow it down to the month? 
Narrow it down to when they put a trademark in for this name, yeah. Blaine often pays attention to that sort of thing, so I'm going to put the call out. Blaine. Yeah. You know all this trademark stuff. Yeah. So do you know they, when they might have trademarked Captain Marvel? If they trademark Captain Marvel for this story, then they very well could be setting up for using him, but mm-hmm. that, that could be our answer. All right. Well, speaking of characters not involved in this, <laughs> okay. how's that for a segue? <laughs> Submariner and the incredible- ever. Submariner and the Incredible Hulk, Tales to Astonish, number 94. The cover this week is for, this week for us, this month for, you know, how publication works, is for Namer. It's called Prince Namer, Helpless at the Hands of Dragor. Because there's two R's. So I think you have to do the part. But I don't know. I totally will every time now. Okay. It, the creature that walks like a man, has been defeated far in the stingian depths of the timeless ocean. But still, the warrior heart of Namer the First prince of the blood and ruler of sunken Atlantis rails against the surface dwellers whose atomic experiments summoned it from the murky abyss. Even though that's not true, he summoned it, but he doesn't know that. And I guess they forgot to care about that. Anyway, Majestic Marvel presents a scintillating subaqueous subaqueous saga from the proud and powerful pens of Stan Lee editor, Roy Thomas scripter, Bill Everett artist, Artie Sebeck letterer, Warriors Born, all... So yeah, Namor's sitting around with his cape and crown and, and his throne and all his blue Cree fo- I'm sorry, not Cree. Uh, Atlantean followers are like, yeah, let's attack Earth because they're all warriors too. I mean, not Earth, the surface because we're they're warriors too. And Dorma's like, don't do this. You can't put a cork. Once you uncork war, you know you you can't put it put it back in the bottle. So why don't you just try a few more times to like. Be cool. We've already been attacked like 8 million times and since this series started, so we're tired. And Namor's like, how dare you speak treason? Be gone. So um, later, oh, this missile just crashes into their window, into Dorma's window, and it has a letter on it. And so she delivers it, and there's this guy named Dragor, and he is a dictator of a small surface nation. That's all they say. And he's asking for Namor to join in an alliance. And Namor's like, why would I join with humans? I'm totally not into humans right now. And she's like, well, but I'm going to go over there and refuse in person with my knuckles. And Dorma's like, I think it's a trap. How dare you speak treason, woman? Get out of my face. Again. So he takes off to go confront this Dragor. Um, And as he's going around, this little dude named Gnome, who's like short and he wears like this, uh, I don't know, helmet that looks like a mushroom or something. Um, no, it doesn't. I don't know what it looks like. But Gnome, he looks like a little weasel, but his name's Gnome, and he's watching Submariner swim towards Dragor in a ship, and he shoots out the net, and it electrifies him, and it turns out Gnome actually works for Dragor, and he takes Submariner back to Dragor's place, where guards immediately shock him some more. They take him to present him to Dragor, and Dragor is like, yeah, I'm being attacked by, or my, my, uh, you know, ruling over this little piece of property here is being threatened by the people. They've, like, created a resistance, and they're about to take me on, so I want you to help. And Namor's like, well, I don't want to help. I don't even like you. And so they shock him again, and he's like, okay, fine. If you stop shocking me, I'll go beat up those humans, because what's the difference? I hate all humans. So he goes over there. Uh, picks up their tanks, crushes their missiles. Um, 
and then he gets pulled back. I guess they can teleport him back and forth. I don't know. It's a weird technology. Um, and then what happens? Oh, yeah. So meanwhile, Dormer's like, I'm going to go. I think it's a trap. I'm going to go help. So she puts on some gear, brings a gun, swims over. Uh, the rebels meet her at the shore, and they're like, who are you? She's like, I'm here to like rescue some mariner. And they're like, okay, we'll let you go because we're good guys, and maybe you can get him out of our hair. Namor's feeling real bad. They keep shocking him. He hasn't had any water. But she brings a water gun. She finds she sneaks in through some cave. She finds Namor. She shoots him with the water. It rejuvenates him. He takes on Dragor. But it turns out Dragor is actually just a robot and the, powered by the gnome. Because when they zap him with the water gun and then Namor punches him really hard, the gnome springs out the back. Um, they capture – or the gnome – doesn't want to be captured, so he jumps out the window, but all the Resistance are there waiting with, like, a net, and they capture him. And then the Resistance is like, hey, thanks for helping us take over this castle. We're now in charge. This is great. Thanks for, you know, the freedom. And Neighbor's like, you humans don't know what freedom is. Anyway, as king, I'm ordering you to come back with me, Dorma. So then they go back home to the place where nobody has freedom either. Next issue, in the path of the Plunderer. Yes, that Plunderer. Yeah. I I was not expecting that. That next issue box was like, wait a second, who's coming? Is it that guy? Yes, Kazar's brother, guest starring in. uh, Oh, no. Namor. Anyway, so this issue. So excited about that. (laughs) Um, Look who's scripting now. Um, um, Let me see. It is. It's Roy Thomas. Oh, boy. Well, I didn't notice it being too wordy, but I don't know. He actually started last issue, but I forgot to note it then. So he is now the regular on this book, The Avengers, and The X-Men. He's come and gone on others, but he's on Sergeant these three Fury. for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he was on Sergeant Fury still, but he's not, I guess. He, he came No. Out. Who's doing Sergeant Fury now? Uh, I guess we'll find out in a couple of issues because yeah. we're going to be talking about that this episode. Yes, that's right. God, um, Neymar doesn't quickly need looking, book. it's Gary Friedrich, which oh. we need to talk about that because I think that's new. Anyways, what did you say? I said Namer doesn't need a book. I don't know why he's the hero in a book. He's just a big jerky jerk. I don't feel I'm bonding with him at all. So it's like these are kind of just stories, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, the way he treats Dorma in this, I couldn't help but directly compare to the whole discussion we had with Reed in the previous issue. Um, because it's one of the benefits of having a life partner. Uh-huh. Maybe more often or less often, depending on who your partner is. But having someone who can offer you another perspective to help shape your own perspective, basically a sounding board to like, you know, give you feedback on your ideas, just kind Mm -hmm. of in the choosing of your life path, you know, Mm -hmm. little stuff every day. Um, So every time Dorma disagrees with Namor, he shuns her and he needs to stop doing that, especially when she makes sense. Yeah, I would say that maybe she shouldn't disagree with him in public, though, because he is a king and he's got to have face. Uh and also, they're not. Are they together or are they not together? I don't know. They've circled it so many times. He's, de- he's declared her his consort. He's declared his okay. love for her. I, okay. I see them as being together. I've never seen him fall out of her bed yet, but maybe they just only do that with the thing <laughs> and Johnny. Uh. <laughs> I was going to say, I think the Comics Code Authority would shake their heads, but <laughs> totally okay if it's gay. Right. See, they're pro-gay relationships, right. right? That's what that's all about. Mm-hmm. Um. But as I'm saying all that, I realize that a story about a wise king who always makes good decisions probably wouldn't make for good comics. But, you know, there it is. That's true. But 
I don't know. The more we read this, the more it just seems like it'd be cooler if he was a supporting character somewhere sometimes or something. It's just weird that they want to give him his own book. But then again, he had his own book in the Golden Age, so that's where they're coming from probably. Yeah. They feel like it needs to keep happening. I mean, to be fair, it's going to get canceled. It's <laughs> one of the few books that's one of the few strips, I should say, that's currently running that's not going to see the end of the 60s. Yeah. Um, he's not going to get a Submariner number one or number 100. Or I'm sorry. You know, it, it will see the end of the 60s. It won't see the end of the 70s because uh, he goes to the Submariner 68, I think, is the last issue. Oh, uh, wow. That's quite a ways. And it's a bit, but it does end. Um, so all the Namor stuff's happening, and my brain kicks into, wait, they're speaking Spanish? <laughs> so this is a European country, and mm-hmm. it's obviously a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. So is this Spain? Is Dragor supposed to be a riff on General Franco, which who is he was the dictator president of Spain during this time? Did General um, Franco have a weird person in his back that powered him around too? <laughs> If he did, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> it was Maybe never that was revealed. Sec- right, right. Maybe that was the secret of Pan's Labyrinth. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I was like, oh, okay, we're in Spain. Not mm. Spain, obviously, because it's, you know, fictitious, but. No, no, it's not Spain. It's a small surface nation. Right. Right. But I don't think we're in the Caribbean or Latin America. I think we're in Europe. So. That's what I was going with with um, with Spain. I don't know and why. I love but, oh, what? no, go ahead. I was like, I don't know why, but gnome and gnome powering the bad guy. This all seemed very Hulk villain to me. It does, doesn't it? Because we've had that a few times with Hulk. Yeah. Um, it's Wizard of Oz. You know, it's the guy behind the curtain powering mm-hmm. the the big scary thing. Um, when we get to page ten, mm-hmm. they're fighting. And we get to the next, you had to turn the page to get to the fact that the gnome is popping out of the back. Did you guess that was going to happen? Yes. I figured the gnome was in charge the entire time. I thought maybe the gnome was in charge. I didn't see him like being in the back oh, of the robot. I wasn't sure about that, but yeah, I just assumed he was really the mastermind somehow. Somehow, some way. Yeah. Page, page eight though, really reminded me of like some golden age covers, you know? Yes. Like all the wartime stuff, all the wartime, you know, Namor destroying missiles and tanks and things like that. That's very, uh, that's that very similar to Schomburg or whatever. Alex. Schomburg, oh yeah. Okay? Stuff like yeah, that. I think that's right. Although this is bill Everett. So it's very bill Everett too, but yeah, I can dig that. It's mm-hmm. very, very golden age. Um, you know, this meeting with all the warlords, which by the way, I always thought that warlord Krang was like, either a singular title or something he was just calling himself because he likes to, but evidently that's just one of several warlords because uh-huh. he calls them all the meeting, but um, all of that was happening so that he could go against the surface world. Mm. And in his going up against the surface world, he gets distracted by this whole thing going on in, you know, not Spain. So was, is there more? <laughs> is yeah. the whole desire to attack the surface world? Is that going to come back next issue? It probably will. Yeah, we'll have to see. You know, we were just compla- Atlantis. We were just complaining uh, in Fantastic Four. Not complaining, but you know, pointing out that all these are being written by white guys, and they are. But I feel like we're getting some cooler female action lately between Sif and uh, Dorma here saving the day. She literally saves the day in this. One. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping this is just a trend that continues. Unfortunately, with Invisible Woman, I'm sorry, Invisible Girl, we haven't really got much of that yet, but yeah, 
or wasp for that matter. But we're starting to get more, you know, uh, stronger female stuff. Agreed. And I like Dorma. Yeah. I, I, I want her to have more power in the story. Um, but we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. All right. Should we move on to the second part of this epic issue? I think I'm ready to Hulk in you with this issue. <laughs> Hulk in you. Oh, no. I'm glad they dropped that. The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> to, the, to the beckoning stars. Alone, friendless, not knowing where to turn, nor whom to turn to. The Incredible Hulk gives vent to his fury, his frustration, like the vengeful, rampaging titan that he is. Also featuring the new man. We don't know how anyone is utterly adorable as smiling Stan Lee and mirthful Marie Severin can do such a great job on the hideous Hulk, but they do. Perhaps it's because of Herb Trimp's inking and Sam Rosen's lettering. Um, I don't know what that language is. Quien sabe? Sabah? Quien sabah? Quien sabe? Uh, is that knows? Spanish? Spanish. Really? Quien mm-hmm. sabe? Okay. Well, remember how the Hulk wanted to go to the stars and then like he tried to hook a ride with some, or, uh, Silver Surfer and Silver Surfer said no? Well, he still wants to go to the stars. So I guess you could have skipped that issue. Uh, and he's throwing rocks around and he hears a rifle. He's like, a shot. What's this about? So he goes to investigate and he finds two hunters and they just killed like a caribou or deer or something. And he's like, um, and they're talking about uh, this guy called the new man and they're how, how much they hate working for him. And Hulk's like, I heard you talk. Who's the new man? What's his power? You know? And they're like, run, it's the Hulk. So he almost smashes them with a rock, but then he's like, eh, too puny to care. You know what? Instead, and he picks, he puts his finger into the, into the rock of the, of the, of the ground and draws a line. He's like, this is Hulk's territory. Now, anybody who crosses this gets Hulk smashed. Right. So they run back to their camp and their camp has this like crazy sci-fi looking radio and they radio turns out it's the high evolutionary. Remember how he had to escape earth while he planted himself on a different planet. Somehow these dudes are like his minions and they don't want to be, but they are. And he tells them all like, I don't know where he tells him, or he just laments to himself that all his animal men that he created, the new men, um, they've all, um, I won't say they de-evolved because physically they can all pick up swords and still fight and are smart and stuff, but they've all become savage. Like they're not intellectual. They don't do the whole Jane Foster learning their ABCs anymore. And they've taken over the planet and like high evolutionary is kind of stuck in his spaceship castle. Like, while they all war with each other. So these two guys are like, hey, we just saw the Hulk. And High Evolution's like, ooh, I need the Hulk. Bring me the Hulk. I want to study the Hulk. Because maybe that can somehow apply to these people. Or maybe I can use the Hulk to help me somehow. So they go back and they shoot the Hulk with a gas gun. And it actually works. Like, after the third shot. And the Hulk passes out. And they put him on a lift and into a spaceship. And this is all with the promise that they don't have to work for the high evolutionary anymore and he's like yeah yeah i promise you don't have to so they put him on the spaceship and they send it on its way and the hulk wakes up to a i don't know if we get this guy's name but basically a new man one of those animal things dressed Mm -hmm. like a knight but it looks like a i don't know what it's supposed to be anyway he's like watching over the hulk and the hulk gets up and punches him and knocks him out and then the hulk looks out the window and he's like i'm I'm, I've left Earth, and I'm in the sky, and I'm near the stars. I have a second chance. Yay. Next, a world he never made. I think he's a goat man. He's a goat man. Okay. 
But yeah, we don't get a name for him. He has horns. Mm-hmm. But he was just like the supervisor on the ship, I guess. And I, I'm actually going to go check out this story on the chronology side to see if he is a named character or not. But um, but yeah, I'm really digging the new direction for Hulk. Me too. That said, I don't know that I'm excited to see the High Evolutionary again already. But <laughs> it could be fun, especially if Hulk smashes him next True. issue. Okay, this guy's name is Sir Ram. Oh boy. Okay, so you called it on the animal. And there are four of him. Oh, no. Sir Ram in this two-part story, Sir Ram in Marvel Premiere, which is where Adam Warlock gets, you know, revamped and reintroduced, Sir Ram the Third in a two-part Iron Man story around the 100s, and Sir Ram the Fourth in a whole bunch of um, QS. I don't know if that's Quasar or hmm. what that stands for. Um, hmm. Must be Quasar, right? What else could it be? Quantum series? Quicksilver, a Quicksilver oh, series Quicksilver. in the nineties. Quicksilver, wow. Well, that makes Thank sense because of his ties to Wonder Gore. Right. Okay. So, Quicksilver series. Anyways, Sir Ram. Um, but he's like the least important part of the story. The, all the oh, other yeah, stuff about yeah. like for sure. He just gets knocked the, out. The high evolutionary fighting a war. I guess if you're um, if you create a whole new species of people. And they decide that they don't want to live in your schools. Mm-hmm. Then they're they're gonna they're gonna fight, and they might fight each other. And basically, they're acting just like humans. Isn't that what we wanted? I don't really mind all that, and I don't dislike the fellas either. I kind of like that they're minding their own business, and the whole here's them shoot a caribou or whatever. But I'm trying to figure out how and why they're working for the high evolutionary, given what we know of how the high evolutionary ditched town. You know, mm-hmm. like. Like, what does he have over them from a completely different planet that makes them feel like they have to work for him and they hate working for him, but they can't quit? What's he going to do That's a really them? good question. You know? I don't know. That part was weird. But other than that, it was a pretty good story. And it, and and Hulk is no stranger to space stories, so this is working. Yeah, I'm glad that he's finally getting his wish to go out into space because, like, that's mm-hmm. been a thing for several issues now, and they're mm-hmm. actually doing it. So I'm very curious to see where it goes. I know that he spent some time in the space in the 70s, because, like, mm-hmm. Jarella comes from, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I've not read any of that. I've no. just heard stuff, you no. know? And then Planet Hulk and all that, so. Yeah, and that, that's down the road. Um, um, it's yeah. interesting that he says on page three, he has an interesting bit of reasoning. Someday men will come back, will want to talk to Hulk, but it will be too late. They had mm-hmm. their chance, and now Hulk makes wow. rules. This is my land. Whoever crosses this line answers to me. I like Do that you think part he's a lot. Gonna, is he going to remember that line tomorrow when he wakes up? <laughs> no. I like that idea, though, that he's going to claim Hulk territory, though. Yeah. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a setup, so we'll um, see where it goes. It could go good. It could go bad. You never know. I don't have a whole lot else. This. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Herb Trimpy is inking the Hulk. Uh-huh. That's a thing. Is Because he's a huge Hulk artist. Is he? Yeah, he's like Johnny Ramita for the Hulk. He he, was, wow. he leaves the first really long term big stamp on the Hulk for like you know a lot of issues. I say John Ramita because Steve Ditko did the first stuff and Hulk has had his first stuff. But yeah, Herb Trimpey. He um. So what he's going to do is he's this is his first work on the book. He's going to ink it for five issues over Severin's fantastic pencils. Then he goes on to do other stuff. But when Severin leaves this book, he's going to come back and he's going to do a seven-year run of Penciling Hulk. And co-create Wolverine. Whoa. And co-create Wolverine. 
So it's weird to think that we're less than seven years away from the introduction of Wolverine. It is kind of, but it also is like, dang, seven years. But yeah, seven years is still seven years, right? And the yeah. number of comics between now and then is going <laughs> to balloon. That means the X Men somehow survived for seven years without Wolverine. <laughs> I don't really. see They're like <laughs> I don't see how so far. They're on life support for a lot of that time. Yeah, they are. Um, but yeah, he gets to go into space. Uh, the new men were a surprise. When it said the new man at the beginning, I was like, who's the new man? And mm. then we got to the high evolutionary. I was like, oh, those new men. But he's um, not the new man. He's the high evolutionary. No, no, the new man, I think, is Sir Ram. Oh, I, I think see. the two humans are referring to Sir Ram as a new man. Oh, they well, called the new man because for them. Maybe that's who's pushing him around. That makes sense. Do you think high evolutionary sent an emissary, the, the last new man to like, you know, still be doing what he says to earth. And like, he just drafted a couple of hunters. I don't, that's you the will. part. It's like, well, what did he need them for? Like, he just needs more caribou on, on his planet or something. Something. The specimens are going to the high evolutionary so he can perfect oh, his evolution. He does like animals. This is all making more sense now. See, that's working. Yeah. He so sent, like I said, life partners help you change your perspective. Yeah, right. He he sent his goat guy to cr- get some hunters to get a bunch of animals to put in his ship so he could send them back and study and figure out where he went wrong, right? Or mm-hmm. how he, how can he reverse it? Right. Or how can he improve upon it? One, something like that. Yeah. All right. So now it all makes sense. And it's the greatest story ever told. Okay. Um. The phrase in the next issue box, a world he never made. Mm-hmm. I was like, I've heard that so many times, like with Howard the Duck. And it's like this phrase that Marvel uses a lot. And so I decided to do some hunting in the literary circles. And it turns out it's from a poem. I did not write down the poet. Mm. Um, you can probably find out if you do the Google search, if you're out there in listener land. But um, this one poet did this poem about... Basically, how following the laws of God and man is really annoying. And I don't want to do this um, because, you know, God doesn't affect me. And, you know, all these other men, meaning, you know, humans in general, they have their laws. Let them live by them. Don't make huh. laws for me. Don't make rules for me. Yeah. And then he basically concludes the poem with, and yet living in a society with other people means I kind of have to be subject to the rules of the group. So I'm trapped in a world that I never made. Oh, I'd never heard that. So it's kind of expressing the futility of the, like we you have this existence, you have no control over it. You didn't choose it. You're just here. And now I'll hear it all the time. Watch, watch. Just like we were talking about. Just, yeah. yeah. Tomorrow. Someone will say it. I will. And then you'll know. <laughs> That's cheating. <laughs> all right. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. In the clutches of the kingpin. Hey, look, it's the last page on the cover again. I love it when they do that. <sighs> Anyways. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. We open with the clink, the clingpin, the kingpin, clingpin smashing New York City with his fist because he's just that big of a guy. What's that? The city is the kingpins? Not if Stan Lee and John Romita can do anything about it. And that goes for Mickey DeMeo Inker and Sam Rosen Letterer as well. Have you ever attended an Underworld Summit meeting? No? Then come on, Tiger. We're just in time. Turns out the Kingpin didn't actually smash New York City. He just smashed a model. Mm. And the mob boss is sitting there going, okay. That took forever. Yeah. We were up all night. All those, all those Legos. 
1,600 pieces, man. Um, but no, Kingpin's going to smash New York just like this as the leader of the mobs, and he's going to start with J. Jonah Jameson, because Jameson is talking way too much about his underworld takeover, so Jameson has to be silent, and they're going to get a new publisher for the Daily Bugle. So he sends out his people, go get me Jameson. Meanwhile, Spider-Man is out there, and he sees bad guys, and he starts attacking them, because that's what Spider-Man does. Like, I thought Spider-Man was gone. So one of these guys in charge is named the Turk, and the Turk manages to get away. And the Turk is like one of the toughest, strongest mob bosses. He basically rules his mob because he is the strongest and toughest, can beat down any comers. Um, so the Turk makes it back to Kingpin. And before he does so, though, the Kingpin looks in on the cell where he is keeping Frederick Foswell. So Foswell comes out and is like, okay, so what are we going to do? And Kingpin's like, okay. Maybe there is a place for you in my operations. And Foswell's like, yeah, we can work together. Like I said, Big Turk comes in and starts complaining that Spider-Man's back. And Kingpin's like, Spider-Man's back. And Turk's like, yeah, so you're a chump and I want to beat you up. And so Kingpin's like, you're going to beat me up? Okay, let me just take off my my uh, my coat first. And Kingpin and Turk fight. And Kingpin is a large round man, but it's not fat. It's all muscles. And so he basically beats up the Turk. Frederick Foswell is there. And they talk about Spider-Man's back in action, but they still need to silence Jonah Jameson. Foswell's thinking, wow, that's my boss. What are you going to do? Meanwhile, back at the Daily Bugle, uh, we see a new character, but he's not identified. But there is a man in Jonah's office with him. Um our one of our few new regular people of color. He will be identified soon as Joe Robertson. Anyway, so he's just there talking to uh, J. Jonah Jameson. They don't know where Foswell is. Peter Parker has quit. Ned Leeds is out there doing whatever. And Jameson's like, get me the information about the crime takeover. And Leeds is like, I'm trying to. There just aren't any leads. Hey, get it? Get it? Mm. And Jonah throws a cigar at him. No, none of that happens. Um, Peter Parker shows up. Hey, I've got pictures of Spider-Man. Jonah says, I think I'd rather strangle you. And Peter's like, okay, fine. I'll take them somewhere else. And Jonah's like, no, 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 no. Give me the pictures. I'll, I'll, I'll buy them from you. And Peter's like, yes, you will. He gets on his bike. He heads home. He passes by the, uh, the silver spoon or wherever it is where the kids are hanging out. Mary Jane is there while Gwen and Harry are on a date. Mary Jane and Gwen exchange a few repartee remarks about a certain bashful motorcycle rider who swings through the night. And um, Harry's like, ha 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 Gwen's, Gwen's my date, Mary Jane. Stop. So she does. She leaves. Meanwhile, Peter Parker turns back into Spider-Man, attacks some more gangsters. But um, he tags one with a spider tracer when it gets away. He follows them. The some gangsters capture J. Jonah Jameson. They bring him to the Kingpin's office. Other gangsters come to the Kingpin's office. Now everybody's at the Kingpin's office, including Spider-Man. Uh, while the Kingpin is telling Jonah what for, he calls on Frederick Foswell, making sure that Jonah knows how the how the pieces lie. Frederick Foswell is on the side of the the demons once again. 
Spider-Man shows up, not entirely sure what to do because doesn't want to hurt Jameson, doesn't know exactly how Foswell is tied in. So he just shines in his light and gets him to come out on the terrace so he can beat up some people. But no, they beat him up. Specifically, the Kingpin whacks Spider-Man with his cane and takes him down and grabs him by the ankle, throws him to the ground, gasses him with his uh, um, neck brooch thing. And so Spider-Man is on the ground, all but helpless, while the Kingpin and his goons stand over him, just like on the cover in the very last panel. Next issue, someone dies to die a hero. That's what happens when you mistake his girth for fat. <laughs> yep. You underestimate him. You got to be careful with that. Girth is a tricky thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so Kingpin's really good to like, you know, be a person in this one. 50 was kind of a tease. Yeah. And, they, and you know, every time they introduce a new or a character we're supposed to know and love. And for the first time, I'm always like, you know, did they get it right? Did they get it right? And he's pretty much what I think of. I mean, I, he's a little shorter and maybe a little crankier. But mm-hmm. other than that, like not crankier, but like he emotes more maybe than I'm used to. But otherwise. The Kingpin does have like a reserved air yeah, about him later on. Later on. But he certainly is no. I mean, I think we said last ish, last time we talked, covered him that he's more physical than he will be later. But I might want to backtrack that because I think of a lot of times that the Kingpin likes to throw down and hurt people. So he's always been Certainly kind of a gorilla guy. He was not above it. No, but like in the like comics in the, and in the, the TV, TV show, show especially. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So he's all about killing his people or getting into fights with superheroes. So that's pretty normal. Um, and he's clever, seemingly clever anyway, with the Foswell thing. That was pretty clever mm-hmm. to black, to throw him under the bus basically for his own purposes. Um, yeah. I'm enjoying him. He's his, uh, his dimensions. Yeah. He is. His dimensions are still pretty believable. They're uh, they're a bit beyond reality. I mean, the guy couldn't really be shaped like this, but they're nothing like. I mean, I've seen pictures. Well, even in what was it? Was it um into the Spider Verse, where which he's was like James and the yeah. Giant Peach with a little bitty head, <laughs> which was based on some comic. I don't know, Electra maybe or something like that. Yeah, I've seen. I was, yeah, I've seen the other comics where he's just this massive round body yeah. of flesh with an itty bitty head, and I like this as a start for him. Yeah, that the Spider Verse thing is like too extreme for me. And he was like, you know, lifting trains over his head and stuff like that. So complete kind of a different physical character for that. But mm-hmm. I think as long as he's like kind of giant and sumo in his uh strength, you know, like those dudes are athletes, man. I know they look out of shape, but they're not, you know. So that's kind of like how I picture him. Like a guy on first glance, you just think, Oh, he eats too much, but then like he could actually just destroy you. I do have to wonder about this whole taking over all the mobs. Because I feel like we've had other people do that. Like Foswell? Well, between the big man Foswell and now. Because Foswell's story was kind of early days for the M- for the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Mass Marauder. We had the Crime Master, Green Goblin. Owl? Maybe the whole point is the Owl, yeah. Maybe the whole point is that none of those lasted. Mm-hmm. And so Foswell was the only one that had like any staying power. But then again, he was only one issue too. So maybe he's just giving himself more credit than he actually deserves. Of all those guys, the only one who's actually going to stay is the Kingpin. Well, and all those other guys are super villains who are probably not easy to find. And actually Foswell found the Kingpin, not the other way around. So that's, that's the reason true. he's there because he's trying to be greedy and get 50%. 
and he's delusional. I don't think the goblin would do that. No, he's not smart goblin. enough, or he's too smart for that. I do always forget when I come into this story just how much Foswell goes bad again. Mm. I I don't think this is the last we will see of gang wars. Mm-hmm. Especially since when I started reading Spider Man in the eighties, there was a big long stint called Gang Wars. <laughs> so that involved like Hobgoblin and Rose and Kingpin and everybody. So I think it's just a gang thing. You're always fighting for power. But probably. But generally the Kingpin is the top dog from here on out, I think. I kind of love that they bring Joe Robertson in in this issue as just somebody in the room before yeah. they actually introduce him to Peter, which I think is next issue or the issue after. I blew right by that, man. I didn't I mean I remember that line, too, because I remember thinking, oh, Ned Leeds is a reporter now. But I did not even notice who said it. And it's only in one panel. Like in all the other office shots, he's not in the shot. Yeah. But that's definitely him. Mm Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, I love how MJ just cuts to the core with Gwen. I do, too. I know why you're smiling, Gwen. It bugs you when I'm alone with Petey, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, In case you hadn't noticed, lady, Gwen is my date. Sure, because Mr. P didn't ask her first. Yep. Good good old Mary Jane. Anything for a laugh, huh? Do you think I'm being funny, Gwendolyn? I think maybe we should go home. Yeah. (laughs) It's just so great. Yeah. She should be a psychiatrist. She should. But it's also kind of odd because theoretically she's dating Peter, right? So why is she? Oh, wait, that's that's where she starts. She's dating Petey. So she's rising up the fact that Gwen also has taken a liking to him. Would you call them dating? I don't know. I, it's hard to say because we never get to see what's going on, you know, behind the scenes, I mm-hmm. guess. And then there's always these assumptions I, later. So I'm like, we've been going for a while. It's like, have you? I didn't see that. I don't think they're dating in any sort of exclusive sense. No. Um, I, I think like- nowadays, if you go on a date with a person, I feel like you're either with that person now or you're not. And there's no like in between. We're just sort of like checking out a lot of other people to see if any of them, you know, and maybe go on a few dates with a few different people to see who lands that I feel like that's a dynamic in 60s stories, but not a dynamic anymore. I feel like they've I'm trying to remember the times they've gone out, but like, I feel like it's like they just cross paths because their aunts know each other. And then it's like, hey, do you want to go here since we're here? Mm -hmm. Okay, which isn't really the same as I want to take you out, baby. And then they haven't kissed. They haven't professed any feelings as far as I can think of, other than her superficial daddy-o stuff. So it's not like the same as like when she, he and Betty were first falling in right. love, you know? It seems more like just kind of social and really casual. So I don't know that I'd call them boyfriend and girlfriend at this point. No, no I wasn't trying to say that they were either. It's just that like yeah. when they do go out or when they do spend time together, mm-hmm. MJ knows that it bothers Gwen. And so seeing her not with Peter makes her happy. Mm-hmm. Um, other than a lot of just really cool action stuff and a really cool intrigue and build to next issue, I don't have a whole lot else to say about this one. I feel like we haven't seen the spider tracer or the bat signal in a while. That was kind of neat. The bat signal. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. It's like cool setup. We'll see what happens. Have we, if we haven't seen the spider tracer in a while, have we talked about the fact that he's not using his handheld tracer anymore? I was going to say, is this the first time the more traditional, as we think of it, spider tracer is finally being used? I know that it's a, it's a very distinct Ditko-Ramita difference. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if we've actually seen Ramita use it yet. I don't think we have. So this is the first time that that's given. Yeah, he, he, from now on, it's a spider sense thing, not a handheld tracker thing. 
he just and I don't know that it specifically said that. Oh yeah, it does. On page fifteen, I think, or at least it shows the spider sense as he's talking about the tracer. Mm-hmm. According to my little tracer, the pen. Tra- yep. yep, yep. So and you know, I've I've gone on record as saying I don't really like when the spider sense is treated as a radio frequency thing. But then again, that's how the spider tracer works. So I guess it makes sense. It just shouldn't. But I'm okay with it. You mean as it how it triggers the spider sense? Well, like you know, issue one when, Cam- when yeah. chameleon communicates with him via his spider sense. Oh, yes, that, I get that. Yeah, yeah. That shouldn't work. But then again, it's not too far removed from him tracking his spider tracer with his spider sense. I mean, that's also so, like an RF kind of thing. Apparently, there's some frequency that triggers his spider sense that he's figured out. I guess so. Maybe these maybe spider senses just... are, are tiny little nuclear bombs that are very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> so the closer he gets to it, the more he feels uneasy. Maybe there is just a really narrow band of frequencies that he can actually detect. And it's not just a general thing, but if mm. someone can tap into that little narrow band, he'll, he'll hear it. Yeah, I don't really love it for communication, but it does make sense. If he can do it for some things, why can't they do it for others, I guess? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but next issue, someone does die. Oh, really? Is that what it to says? die a hero. Yeah. Oh. Foswell? No. That's my it's guess. That's your guess, Foswell? That's my official guess for the next time. I really don't I'm, know, though. I'm writing it down. Kaiser guessed Foswell. Foswell. It's not okay. J. Jonah Jameson. It's not Kingpin. It's not Spider-Man. So it has to be Foswell. Anyway. All righty. Well, that brings us to the end of a month. Oh, does it really? Okay. Yeah. You're right, because Sergeant Fury's next. That makes perfect right. sense. So what month are we on? This was May of 1967. I've got to bring out my spreadsheet okay, here. Here we go. Which I Ra- have been successfully capping. Millie the Model, 152. Rawhead Kid, 59. Oh, those are the only. Oh, no. Brand Act number one. So we didn't cover three this month. That's it? That's only not bad. three? Yeah. Wow. Not counting the trade. Whoa. Back on um, May 2nd, is there a trade release this month? Uh, Marvel Collector's Items. So I'm sure we covered all those oh, stories yeah, 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 at yeah. some point. We have, there is like a, a specific one issue kind of trade thing that's coming out down the road that I have a note for to, co- to mention when we get past it. Mm. Not to cover it because we're going to cover the stories, but it's, it's, anyways. Sergeant Fury 44, The Howler's First Mission, mm. the bombshell that you've been at waiting for. Uh-huh. Strange Tales 159 with the great Captain America Nick Fury fight and the, um, what is it? The whole, I've got to do what the Living Tribunal said and ends up with Baron Mordo getting free at the end. Mm -hmm. Tales of Suspense 92, where Captain America goes up against um, some mysterious guy and sees Nick Fury get shot in a barbershop. Also, Iron Man... What does Iron Man do? Does he fight? Oh, he, he beats Half Face. Oh yeah, he, he's it's a setup for Half Face. So he just doesn't really do anything. Yeah, yeah. First chapter of the Half Face setup. Thor one hundred forty two, the scourge of the Super Skrull, mm-hmm. which was light but fun. Followed up with um, we who are about to die. More Mystic Mogul stuff in the backup with a flying carpet and those 40 demons that never get closer. The X-Men 34, War in a World of Darkness. The X-Men go up against Tyrannus and the Mole Man and their giant robots made of super cobalt and diamond because those are both possible. Daredevil 30, where Daredevil is actually Matt Murdock, dressed as Mike Murdock, dressed as Daredevil, 
dressed as Thor mm. and Thor finds out and comes after him. Mm-hmm. The Avengers 42, the plan and the power where they have to go up against um, Diablo and the dragon man. And I think this is the one where they resolve that, right? Yeah. They have yeah, to go they, up against Goliath too. Oh yeah. Goliath. Cause he's, he's uh, saving them or protecting Jan. And then the stuff from this episode, fantastic Four sixty five with Ronan, the jacuzzi and um, tales to astonish 94 with uh, Dragor versus Namor and Hulk versus the High Evolutionary's New Man thing goes into space at the end and Amazing Spider-Man 52, Clutches of the King. 51. 51, that's what I said. Okay. Easy. All right. What you got? Easy. Fantastic Four, Ronan, the Accursor for the win. I'm going old mm-hmm. school with that pronunciation. Uh, and then the loser is X-Men because it's X-Men and it has Mole Man and Tyrannus in it. So come on. They're not even trying. <laughs> They're trying to lose bad. Although, honestly, Matt Murdock dressed as Mike Murdock, dressed as Daredevil, dressed as Thor, probably deserves it more for being, okay, that, see, for being that absurd. But I just have a problem with the X-Men. They're just more boring somehow. No, I agree. The X-Men story was dumb. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's my least. I love the Daredevil yeah. craziness. I think it's great. Yeah, and it's still pretty. So that has that going for it. That does help. Um, I Fantastic Four has to be the winner. Yeah. I raved and raved and raved about how much I've been looking yes. forward to it. It's a great and setup, and it's a great story from beginning to end. Spider-Man 51 has a lot of good stuff, yep. but I really, you know, Fantastic Four ekes it out. Um, as far as least, I am perplexed. Hmm. Honestly, I am not sure. Because I kind of liked everything. Huh. Um, I didn't hate Doctor Strange. Well, Strange Tales has the new Ditko, I mean, uh, Starenko direction of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was pretty awesome. And Captain was, America in it. Mm-hmm. And Tales of Suspense had, I mean, it's kind of a straightforward story, but I thought the Cap story was pretty good and had Nick Fury in it. And that was great. Iron Man, Half Face is really ah, kind of yeah, dumb. That was boring. Um, but I did enjoy the read. It went very quickly. It was just Iron Man yeah. doing actually things. So the fact that it was Half Face didn't really matter. Yeah. Thor versus the Super Scroll, uh-huh. I thought was a nice change of pace. It was also light but fun. Uh huh. Um, Thor smashing somebody. That's always fun. I'm not going to put Thor down as least just because of the inane tales of Asgard story. I feel like that's unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked Daredevil. I liked the Avengers. I X- guess it is X- the X-Men. It is, um, right? Is it Namor? No, it's the X-Men. No. Because Dorma was cool. In, and there's nothing cool. Dorma was cool. You're right. I, I The thing is, I didn't even really hate that issue as <laughs> much as you did, but yeah, I did not enjoy it very much. And it's the Mole Man. We can't support the Mole Man. Come on. No. And I honestly am not too thrilled with Tyrannus either. I do like him more than the Mole Man, but um, only just... And they created robots out of diamonds and stuff. So forget it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was quick and easy. Well, that was fun. Month in review. We really should do these backwards and, and say our least favorite first and then our favorite last. So we end it on a good note. Fantastic Four was fantastic. Wasn't it, though? 
Through and through, it was a really good issue. And it had no Inhumans at all, except for Crystal. And I'm fine with Crystal. She's cool. And one of my favorite non-A-lister Marvel characters makes an appearance in 66 and then full-on story in 67. So mm. I'm just like riding the clouds with Fantastic Four right wait now. Wait a minute. Wait a minute now. Your favorite what? Did you say B-lister? Not, yeah, B-lister, C-lister, not A-lister. Hmm. Anybody have guesses on that? Because I haven't looked ahead. I don't know who he's talking about exactly. Yeah. Is it Quasar? Well, no. No, it's not Quasar. Speedball. You'll have to wait to you'll have to wait till we get to him. Is he the guy that's kidnapping? uh, What's her face? Alicia Alicia? Masters. Yeah. No, but it's 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 related to that story. Uh huh. I know where she's going, sir. I just don't know why they're pulling her particularly there Hmm. because I know what the story is for sixty six and sixty seven. Is it the New Gods? Because they wear (laughs) those curvy fourth world in DC. (laughs) They wear those bicep (laughs) armband things. That's because they're curvy characters. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Tell us about the war lover. Okay, Sergeant Fury and his Helen Commandos introducing one of the most startling, shocking characters of all time, the trigger-happy fighting fanatic known as the war lover. This is issue number 45. Um, wow, talk about devastating developments. This month's shell-studded saga starts right smack in the center of a Nazi prison camp. <gasps> but don't ask us what the Howlers are doing there. Just saddle up and find out with us. Wahoo! Stan Lee emphatically edits a Gary Friedrich, John Severin, I'm sorry, Gary Friedrich, controversial combative, John Severin, concoction of, create, concoction of creativity, lettered by Sam Rosen, envied by Brand Ech. It is, if its own pulsating power doesn't turn this page, don't shatter your skull in suspense, just flip it over yourself. So yeah, it starts out with a prison break. They are rescuing a dude it's a general Paul Ryan, Paul Ryan, but he's a general's son. So I guess he's special enough to get a, the howlers assigned to this. And when they escape, Paul Ryan's like, all right, thanks for the help. And the, you know, AK 47, I'm sorry if that's incorrect, uh, anachronistic or whatever. I don't know my machine gun, submachine guns or whatever, but he's like, let's go out there and kill all the Germans. And they're like, no, we're actually supposed to escape and rendezvous. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm a man. I like to fight. I like to murder. Let's go. And Nick's like, no, we have to leave now. And then the guy's not listening, so Nick bops him on the head and Dum Dum carries him over his shoulder. But they miss the rendezvous. And so plan B is they now have to wait 24 hours for the ship for the plane to come back because it can't come back until then for some reason. And then there's a flashback to them being assigned. Um, Ryan wakes up. He's super mad. They all get in an argument. Um they're surrounded by Germans, and and Gabe suggests that they all stop screaming because they're in the woods and they're trying to hide. Um, but Ryan picks up a rifle and starts shooting again, which gets them all shot at. Um, by the way, there's a running gag throughout this whole thing in case I forget that Dum Dum's hat keeps getting shot up, so that's kind of funny. Um, but the Howlers manage to beat the people that were shooting at him. They retreat. Um, Ryan finds a prisoner or a guy that's wounded and he's about to kill him when Nick's like, no, no, we don't do that. We're going to patch this guy up. He's like, you can't patch up the enemy. He wouldn't patch you up. Um, so they get in a big fight about that. Um, but finally, he Ryan caves, sort of, but not really. Um, that night, he knocks out Reb, who was on guard, and 
goes into the woods with a freaking machine gun again and he kills a bunch of Germans and they, the rest of them surrender and he's like lining them up and he's going to gun them all down when Nick catches up with him and points a gun on him and says, if you sh- take one shot, I'll shoot you first. And so again, he's like, what the heck, man? These are the bad guys. We're supposed to kill them, aren't we? Men, we're real men, aren't we? And they have, again have to explain that that's not how it works. Um, and then they let... The Germans go, much to Ryan's annoyance, because they don't have the ability to take them prisoner. So they take their guns and just say, now get on out of here. Finally, 24 hours comes by. A plane comes, picks them up. Um, Nick tattletales on Ryan to Sam. Sam seems kind of like relaxed about it, which is annoying to Nick. He should know better, though. But anyway, later Nick goes out with uh, Eric's uh, sister, Ilsa, Takes her out, not like on a date, just because like they just wanted to go out to dinner together, kind of just going just to get out of the house, kind of. And she laments about, you know, um, what's his name not being there? Um, Dino. Anyway, Dum Dum joins them, but then Ryan shows up and they start talking about, and Ryan starts talking about like how gutless Nick is for letting all those Germans go and not being back there killing more Germans with him and stuff. So, of course, Nick hates that. So he stands up to get in a fight with him but politely excuses himself from Ilsa first, which means he turns his back on Ryan. So Ryan gets the first shot, hits him over the head with a bottle, a wine bottle. Dum Dum doesn't like that, kind of pulls Ryan off him. But then Nick's like, let him go. I got this. They get into a big fisticuff scrap during this time. Dum Dum's new hat that he was so proud of gets stepped on again. Very funny. Um, Sam and General Ryan, Ryan's father, show up at the restaurant and they're in the midst of talking about what happened. So clearly, Sam actually was going to do something about it. He was just playing aloof. When he see when they both see the fight, Sam goes to break it up, but Ryan, General Ryan's like, "Nah, let him let him fight." And so he watches as Nick like beats the crud out of his son but then he stops the fight and his son's like yeah dad you gotta arrest these dudes and he's like no actually we're gonna freaking arrest you and he has the military police take his son away and his son's like but you taught me to be a man's man man and he's like yeah you're right i can't deny that that's what i taught you to fight and kill and stuff but you gotta you know temper that to some level and then he apologizes to nick um, they pay the the uh, the the restaurant owner some money because he freaks out about the damage. Um, they all have a nice little sit down together at dinner and talk about how some guys are just too savage for their own good. Then later, the issue ends with Dum Dum coming back to the barracks and everybody like Dum Dum. We really can't stand your hat being broken all the time. So you either need to leave or accept this present we all chipped in on. And there's another new hat box waiting for him, and he's all excited. Next issue, medic. I really, 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 really liked this issue. This is a great issue, right? Um, and I love when they break formula, first of all. Doesn't right. Hap- doesn't happen often, but they did it this time. Um, there were several things where I wasn't sure where the story was going to go. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I predicted ended up not being the way the story went. That's always interesting. You thought the hours um, were going to gun down the, the guy, too, or what? <laughs> they could have done. <laughs> Honestly, um, I thought it was going to be like a, a – Ryan versus Koenig story because oh, he's German. Oh, yeah, but he wasn't even hardly in this. No, he, in fact, he's not been hardly in the book for a while now. No, which is he's been relegated to plain guy. 
Right. And they even mentioned in this that he like has to run other missions. Mm-hmm. And so he has to take time out of that to carry them places. So that's a little bit unfortunate, but you know, it's fine. But we're getting um, to his sister, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do love in media res openings. This one felt a little bit abrupt, but it was a kind of a case where the title of the story mm-hmm. actually helps you find your footing right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And oh, it does, yeah. the story doesn't leave you wondering long, but I just no, like no. that first page. It's like, what, what? Oh, I'm glad they get right to it. Cause if this, if this opened with the assignment, then that's more formula for this issue. Yeah. I like it how it just opened with the action. Yeah. It and, was good. And gosh dang, if I'm not loving our new artist, I don't know. He doesn't last long. I don't think, but he's so good. Um, he did some issues of, of, of Nick Fury, agent of shield, Johnny Severin. Mm-hmm. And he is the brother of our Hulk artist, Marie Severin. Uh huh. Um, well, he's really he, great. Yeah. He's really good. He's going to switch to inking. Dick Ayers is going to come back on the pencils and he's going to do the ink. So I'm curious how that combination works. Uh-huh. If it's going to be like Ayers layouts with a Severin flair, but I do love the art in this. Every person looks like a person. Yeah, and they a all, different and, one. Yeah, exactly. That's what I like about it. They all have their own distinct faces. It's neat. Even the little faces on the splash page. Look at Pinkerton. That's mm-hmm. a guy. Yeah. Look at Gabe Jones. Yeah. That's a dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a couple of sort of, uh, you know, tangential notes. Mm-hmm. The Nazi calls Ryan a Schweinhund mm-hmm. on page six, which we've heard only 200 times in this book. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I remember that in the Avengers novel, which we're going to cover next episode, and so you should be listening to the audiobook version, um, it's spelled differently. They have an E on the end. Mm. So I read it on the audio as Schweinhunta, and I mm. thought maybe that was like a German plural, but no, it's just pretty sure it was just a wrong spelling, and it's going to be wrong oh. on the audio, and that's just the way things are. But oh, well. in my reading about the word, I read that it's actually considered really offensive. Well, my no prize for the uh, the audio of the book is that the alien just didn't get it pronounced right. That's all. There's a lot of words. It's possible. Yeah, that's possible. I, I am wondering though if if this would get censored as profanity if it was published for 1960s German kids. Mm. It is I, funny how you sure. can sneak that in, huh? Right? Has like, Pinkerton been saying bloody at all? Because that's like, considered yeah, inappropriate. Like we grew up all the time hearing bloody this and bloody that, and nobody cares. But it turns out it's like the big old F word over there or something. Mm-hmm. That's and funny. Don't, me, don't even get me on the con- the topic of fanny packs. <laughs> um, my other second tangent, my other tangent is um, Dum Dum makes a reference to Lady Godiva, uh-huh. how his hat doesn't cover his hair as well as Lady Godiva's hair covered her. Uh-huh. So I'm like, okay, I, I, I've heard the term Lady Godiva. I just have never learned what a Lady Godiva is. So I looked it up. Turns out, actual person, mm-hmm. 13th century England. Mm-hmm. Wife of an Anglo-Saxon earl, so nobility. And even though she's a real person, the story about her is probably not true. Uh, and that is that she rode a horse naked through the streets uh, of Coventry. Right. Because she wanted her husband to relieve the taxes. He's like, only way I'm doing that is if you... And he was just basically giving her an old, uh, an impossible thing to do. Because hey, he would never do the taxes. But she did it. Uh-huh. Um, there was a decree that was sent out that everyone must stay indoors and keep their windows bolted as she rode through the town naked. But she has this long red hair. That's basically the only thing covering her. And the same story is where we get the word peeping Tom, because mm. a tailor named Thomas popped out for a look-see. Just and, one. Uh, wow. Yeah. Well, according to the story. Okay. 
So it's obviously a story. Yeah, it could. It could. Yeah. Um, there are variations of the legend. Like I said, the legend is not held in high regard, but she is a real person who did lots of charitable acts. So it's definitely in keeping with her charitable mindset for the people. But yeah, Lady Godiva. Cool. Um, the stuff with the Nazi officers in the forest. Mm-hmm. Nicely suspenseful. Yeah. I was honestly not sure how it was going to play out. I thought they've been emphasizing how low they were on ammo. So I thought maybe he was going to pull the trigger and it was going to go click. Oh, uh-huh. um, but it was also good how they, how they played it out. I, I liked this. I mean, let's face it. The Howler's like a good fight and they're not adverse to killing people, but I do think there's a big difference obviously between mm-hmm. killing unarmed, surrendered prisoners or injured people and someone in and, an actual fight. And some of it depends upon like what kind of story they're trying to tell. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if they're, on the way to something and they gun down some Nazis on the way without calling any attention to it, because that's not the story they care about. Whereas here they're talking about kind of the rules of war mm-hmm. and how war is not just about going and killing everybody under a particular flag. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they, they literally bring up the rules of war, or the Germans do, I think, right. At some point. The, yeah. The Geneva convention, prisoners yeah. of war, all that stuff. Yeah. You can't kill us. But we get to page 12 and the story kind of ends and I was a little bit concerned what was going to happen for the next eight pages. Because mm-hmm. sometimes things get boring. Mm-hmm. Or was Ryan going to go completely around the bend and make the rest of the story like really dangerous? I didn't know. But I really liked the way it went. I liked the way it went too. And I liked it. I didn't know. Because again, it's not formula for them to <laughs> do it this way. To just have like, like not, none of this was really about the mission for, mm-hmm. one, for once, you know. Yes, there was a mission, and they did succeed in that mission, but it wasn't about the assignment and getting to the mission and completing the mission and fix and and dealing with the one twist in the mission and then finding the way home from the mission. It's like all that was just taken care of. Right. And it was more about dealing with this guy who had a bad attitude about humans. And then we, after we get some, you know, interesting conversation with, with uh, Sawyer and Fury, mm. we get downtime. Mm-hmm. We get like honest to goodness downtime with Fury mm-hmm. and um, Ilsa hanging mm-hmm. out in the bar. Nice notes in their thought bubbles to add depth to the to to their interaction here. Mm-hmm. He's not really over Pam, and she's not really thinking about Fury romantically, although she is having a good time. Yeah, um, it's great. I, I got the sense that Nick just knows that she's stuck on an army base, so he was being a nice guy and taking her out on the town. You know, it wasn't like. Mm-hmm asking her out on a date date or anything. But she also thinks that like, maybe I should move on. Maybe Pam would want me to find somebody. Well, she is pretty and he is a guy. So at some Mm -hmm. point, at some point that thought might go through your head. Dugan shows up. He's got his new hat. (sighs) That's so great. All the hat stuff was great. It was great. Here's my thing. Here's my thing. That's not a fedora. It is not. It is a bowler, right? A bowler. Yeah. And so I'm wondering when the guys go to the hat store to get him his (laughs) birthday present at the end, it's they like, all know it's not a fedora. There's like Dugan doesn't know what kind of hat he has. So we have to go find out, you know, have to go get ask for the real kind of hat. Or do you think Indiana Jones's hat is in the box? Oh, could be. Could be. I love that last page though. God, that expression. Again, oh, the yeah. art the art's just fantastic. I would say this so is my good. favorite Howler issue since 13. So how many have we read between that? 
30? Yeah. 32? 32 <laughs> issues to get to the next favorite. This could actually be a contender for favorite of the month, depending on how the month goes. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. I actually went down to the to the last month note, the end of the month notes, and put it in as a contender for favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to fight against Amazing Spider-Man 52, um, but it, it is definitely a contender. Yeah. Um, and I was so glad that the father took the son down a peg. Yes. That was really great. Because that was also so it could have gone either way. He had the best like, line. He, uh, any man who lives only to fight and kill his fellow man is a sad specimen of the human race. Yep. Yep. That was your dad that said that. That's a general Paul. that said that. Yeah. That was cool. Also, not for nothing, I rather like that they took the opportunity to mention the possibility of this being a mental illness. Because that was a new oh. concept in the uh-huh. 60s, or at least newer than it is now. Um Nowadays, you don't want to justify a man's violence saying, oh, he's just sick. We should humor him. Mm -hmm. But the idea that maybe his violence is actually rooted in something psychiatric that he could get treated for and get better and not just throw him in a prison where he's going to rot, that's that's a a new idea, newish. Right. So, yeah, so many good things about this book. Yeah. Awesome. Great way to end the episode. Great way to end the episode. We've gone for just a you know a little while here, not too long, I don't think. But um, yeah, so I guess I should say what we're going to cover next. Yeah. Um, between now and next week, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Hey, I'm not, I'm not going to forget. Are the final chapters of the Avengers: Battle of the Earth Wrecker? So next week we are going to cover that. We are also going to cover Strange Tales 160 with uh, Doctor Strange versus Baron Mordo. We're going to cover Sergeant Fury Annual 3, which is a present-day Howler story. What? The Howlers in Vietnam. Uh-oh. And um, the Tales of Suspense 93, which has Iron Man versus the Titanium Man on the cover. Yeah, no spoilers there. No. Yeah, well, the cover isn't a spoiler. The cover is a cover. It's a tease. It says, come listen. We'll see. Or come read. Um, so yeah, so those are all coming down. And if they want to find this show, because I don't know that they're listening to it because somebody like hasn't tied to a chair says, listen to this podcast. How could they find more? You can find Make Ours Marvel on all of your favorite podcast apps. At least that's a claim I'm going to say. But if you can't, and I hope you can, but if you can't, go to makearsmarvel.com and find the regular old RSS feed that you can plug into your favorite app I've obviously never heard of, or find us links to actual popular apps that you should be using. Um, you'll also find links to Facebook and Twitter, which we are on, so you can join us on the fun there. Or you can just write us directly, podcast at makearsmarvel.com. We are also um, on the Twitters. Mike is on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. I am on Twitter at John Reads Comics. Um, but also on our website is a PayPal link. We have started accepting donations to help support the show. Every single donation, whether small, uh, say what I should say, whatever size, is always appreciated. And I just want to take a moment to say thank you so much to faithful emailer and now faithful financial supporter Tim Price. Thank you so much, Tim. And yeah, I think that's everything. Okay. So be back next week. It's novel time. And until then, or until Paul Ryan runs for vice president, make ours marvel. marvel.